This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, November 7th. I'm Rachel Del Judas. And I'm Daniel Davis. Well, if you're a Republican president these days, getting federal judges confirmed by the Senate is harder than it's ever been. Over the last three years, Democrats have dragged out judicial confirmations into a time-consuming ordeal. But that hasn't stopped the progress. As of now, President Trump has 157 federal judges that he nominated sitting on the federal bench. Today, our executive editor, Rob Bluey, will talk to Adam Kennedy, a deputy assistant to President Trump. They'll discuss all the progress that's been made on confirming judges. Plus, Heritage Foundation President Kay Coles-James recently joined Carly Fiorina on her podcast. We'll share a clip from that conversation. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on iTunes and encourage your friends and family to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. Kentucky Democrat Andy Brashear called for a smooth transition on Wednesday after claiming victory in the state's governor race. But Matt Bevin, the Republican incumbent, isn't conceding. On Wednesday, he officially requested a re-canvas of all votes. His campaign said, The people of Kentucky deserve a fair and honest election. With reports of irregularities, we are exercising the right to ensure that every lawful vote was counted. Bevin trailed the Democrat by just over 5,000 votes with all precincts reporting. His defeat would come as an upset in a state where President Trump won by 30 percentage points. House Democrats released another transcript Wednesday. This time, it's the testimony of Bill Taylor, a U.S. diplomat to Ukraine. Taylor said that the U.S. withheld aid from Ukraine to entice the country to look into enemies of President Donald Trump. Taylor said he witnessed the U.S. trying to get the Ukrainian president to investigate whether Ukraine interfered in the 2016 presidential election, as well as Burisma, the gas company that employed Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son. Taylor, who disclosed this information to lawmakers on October 22nd, will be testifying publicly next week with two other colleagues before the House Intelligence Committee. Well, a federal judge blocked President Trump's conscience rule for health providers on Wednesday. The rule would have withheld federal funds from hospitals that refused to let their doctors and nurses abstain from participating in abortions and other procedures they might find morally objectionable. The ruling came from District Judge Paul Engelmayer in Manhattan after nearly two dozen states sued the administration. They argued that patient access to abortion and other procedures trumped the conscience rights of health care providers. The rule was set to go into effect later this month. The White House is retreating on its call for $8.6 billion in border wall funding as it works out budgeting for the 2020 fiscal year. That's according to a source familiar with negotiations per roll call. Congress has allocated no more than $1.4 billion for border wall funding for each of the past two fiscal years. According to the unnamed source, the ball is in Congress's court, and Trump doesn't want to see another partial government shutdown on November 22nd when current funding runs out. Mexican authorities have arrested a suspect in connection with the killing of nine members of a Mormon family in northern Mexico. The suspect was found near the Arizona border with two hostages who were bound and gagged inside a vehicle. Investigators found him with four rifles and a bulletproof SUV. Officials believe the nine U.S. family members who were killed Monday may have been caught in the crossfire of rival drug cartels. 
And up next, Rob Bluey discusses federal judges with President Trump's deputy assistant, Adam Kennedy. Tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger government? Become a part of the Heritage Foundation. We're fighting the rising tide of homegrown socialism while developing conservative solutions that make families more free and more prosperous. Find out more at Heritage.org. President Donald Trump celebrated his administration's judicial appointments at a White House ceremony on Wednesday. He gathered with U.S. senators and other supporters to mark the occasion of having confirmed more than 150 judicial nominees, a pace that puts him ahead of his predecessors. Now one out of every four circuit judges currently on the bench was appointed by this administration, and that number has now exceeded that by quite a bit. No president in history has confirmed as many circuit court judges, even close, not even close, in such a short period of time. We're joined on the Daily Signal podcast by Adam Kennedy. He's a deputy assistant to President Trump and deputy director of communications at the White House. Adam, thanks for taking the time to do the interview. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, we're going to get to impeachment in just a few moments, but I first want to ask you about some good news coming out of Capitol Hill and the White House, which probably doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And since President Trump took office, this administration has now worked with the Senate to confirm 157 federal judges. Again, that's 157 federal judges. Uh, That includes 43 judges to the federal circuit courts and two justices to the Supreme Court, of course, uh, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh. So, Adam, tell us why this is such a priority for President Trump? Well, I think what we're doing really is reshaping the courts of this country that have long been dominated by Democratic appointees. Right now, we actually have one out of every four active judges on the United States Court of Appeals have been appointed by President Trump. And the average age is actually a full 10 years younger for these justices than under President Obama. So I think what the president is doing is putting a lasting stamp on the courts that are going to go well past his second term. The Heritage Foundation has a judicial appointment tracker, which keeps track of these things pretty closely. And it puts President Trump ahead of every president since Ronald Reagan at this point in their presidencies, including 54 more confirmations than President Obama had at this time. How has President Trump been able to accomplish this? Well, we've been pushing really hard and working hand in hand with the Senate to make sure that we have qualified judges on these courts, judges who are going to interpret the Constitution as written, and to make sure that they move at a quick pace and that we have the most qualified people capable to sit on the benches. And we're seeing the results. We've actually already flipped two different courts. The Third Circuit and the 11th have already flipped over because of this. I'm sorry, the second of the elements, and uh, we're, we're going to continue to make progress. One of those circuit court nominees is Lawrence Van Dyke, who is awaiting Senate confirmation for a seat on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Last week, the American Bar Association came under fire for its rating of Van Dyke, and the nominee was actually moved to tears during his Senate confirmation hearing. Let's listen to this exchange with Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. The letter also says that you would not commit uh, to being fair to litigants before you, notably members of the LGBTQ community. Can you speak to that? Did you did you say that you wouldn't be fair to members of the LGBT community? Senator, I that was um, that was the part of the letter. I 
I did not say that. I apologize. It's all right. I'm sorry. No, I did not say that. I do not believe that. It is a fundamental belief of mine that all people are created in the image of God. And they should all be treated with dignity and respect. Senator... Can you commit to, today to, to this committee that you will treat, if, if confirmed, that you would treat every litigant who, who came before you with respect and with dignity? Absolutely, Senator. I would not have allowed myself to be nominated for this position if I did not think I could do that. Including members of the LGBT community and, and any other community that has been historically disadvantaged in this country? Absolutely, Senator. Now, for years, we've heard about the Ninth Circuit being out of touch. Today, President Trump is close to having 13 judges confirmed for that circuit. How is that going to transform the judiciary? Well, those are actually some of the most important judges because only a few cases actually get picked up by the Supreme Court. The appellate level, the circuit level, those are where a lot of the cases are heard and where a lot of the lasting decisions are made and where a lot of precedent is made. And so by making progress there... The president is really putting a lasting imprint on how the Constitution will be interpreted going forward, and it's going to be interpreted as it was written. Of course, these confirmations have happened despite obstruction from Senate Democrats. President Trump's nominees have faced more cloture votes, more roll call votes, and greater opposition than any of his predecessors. Tom Jipping of the Heritage Foundation says Trump nominees have faced 18 times the amount of opposition as the judges appointed by his five predecessors at this point. What does that say to you? Well, I think it's pretty obvious that Democrats are trying to score political points and they're trying to hold up the process as much as possible. Uh, they failed repeatedly, but we're going to and we're going to continue to push forward. Uh, but obviously, this isn't just about qualifications. This is about the fact that they see the president making so much progress and they want to get in the way. You've had a, a couple of rulings go your way, particularly uh, at the Supreme Court level. I, I think of when it comes to those who are coming into this country and also if some big immigration decisions that have gone your way. How important is it to maintaining the policies that this White House supports and have been carried out through uh, executive actions to have these judges in place? Oh, absolutely. And, and what we've seen is that the actions that this president has taken have been entirely based in law, based in the Constitution, based in the powers given to the president. And more and more, we need judges to uphold that and to see that the Constitution, as written, has been granted to the president these powers. And by having these judges there, we're getting the, the results that, uh, that we've been arguing for. And finally, on this topic, Adam, let me ask you, because we obviously all saw what happened to Justice Kavanaugh, and we see it at a, to a lesser extent with some of the appellate court nominees and even district court nominees. What is President Trump's message to these judges who want to serve their country and, and do their civic duty of giving back in this way? Uh, to stand strong, to stand by their principles and their beliefs, and to not let the Democrats try and tear them down. I think what we've seen is that time and time again, the Democrats have tried and failed to take shots at our well-qualified nominees. And time and time again, we've stood by them and stood with them through this process. 
Okay, well, thank you, Adam. Let's shift gears to impeachment. Uh, your reaction to some of the latest developments coming out of Capitol Hill uh, this week and today, obviously, uh, the release of some transcripts. I know that the mainstream national news media attempts to uh, to spin it one way, and Democrats certainly have, up until this point, been selective, it seems, in terms of the news that they've wanted to come out. But I know the White House, in certain cases, is pointing to these transcripts as showing that, in fact, that there's news and information the American people may not have been privy to that they, they now are. Well, I think it's pretty clear now why they kept some of these secrets for so long, and it's because there's really not a whole lot there that's supportive of the Democratic case. Just yesterday, we saw a transcript from Stalin released, who's the our ambassador to EU, and he clearly states that he does not know why or by whom the H Ukraine was held up. And so the idea that he could have knowledge of some quid pro quo, but not know why the aid was held up, seems a little preposterous. At the same time, you have Volker, who is our actual ambassador on the ground, say that there absolutely was no quid pro quo at any level. So I think it's pretty clear at this point that the Democratic case, whatever it was to begin with, is quickly falling apart. What can you tell our listeners about how the administration is preparing to fight the attacks being mounted by Chairman Adam Schiff and Speaker Nancy Pelosi? Well, I think we're going to fight it every step of the way. We're going to point out where the process is wrong, how how poorly it's been handled. I mean, this is a process that was started with a podium announcement. I mean, really the first time in history that Congress, really the Democrats in Congress, have decided to use their... Uh, exceptional power to try and impeach a president by holding a press conference, not holding a vote. They then went right into secret hearings where no no due process was provided. They had a sham vote where the only bipartisan part of it was that uh, bipartisan opposition to it. And now we're seeing with these transcripts that there is even less there than they were originally saying. The president's been saying this whole time that he did nothing wrong. He released the transcripts showing he did nothing wrong. Yet Democrats are pushing this because they want to overturn 2016 and now try to interfere in 2020. You know, you have a House speaker who has talked about the importance of it being a bipartisan effort. And of course, as you referenced, the vote was hardly uh, such. It was two Democrats voting with Republicans uh, against uh, starting the impeachment inquiry. What did it mean to this president to have that unified support among Republicans? Well, I think it's fantastic. And I think the fact that uh, Nancy Pelosi couldn't even keep her party together on this shows how weak their case is. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi repeatedly said she wanted it to be a bipartisan effort if she was going to go forward. She went forward anyways, and it was a bipartisan effort against it. So I really think Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff have to take stock of where they're at right now. Well, as you look ahead, there are uh, certainly a number of legislative issues and priorities the president continues to talk about. Uh, so as Democrats continue to focus on impeachment, there is other work that needs to get done. One of them is the government funding, and that runs out on November 21st with the U.S. military in need of reinforcements. We know that this president has made that a priority throughout his tenure. What are the prospects of getting some of that work done in the event of impeachment actually uh, taking center stage in, in the U.S. House? We want to work with the Democrats to pass these important measures, and there's other ones as well. There's securing our border, there's lower drug prices, there's USMCA. Uh, but time and time again, what we've seen the Democrats really interested in is try to try to win an impeachment what they weren't able to win through an election, and that's getting this president out of office. This president will continue to try and work with them, but at the end of the day, it's up to the Democrats if they're willing to put this politics aside and actually get things done for the American people. You brought up USMCA. We recently uh, heard from Vice President Mike Pence here at the Heritage Foundation about the importance of moving that forward. It seems that there would be the Democrats in favor of it to get this across the finish line. What are the prospects of having something like that come up for a vote here before the end of the year? We're hopeful. We want uh, Pelosi to take action on it. We've been asking for it for quite some time. 
We've seen our main trading partners, Mexico and Canada, take more action than uh, the Democrats in Congress have been willing to, and we'll continue to push them to make sure this gets passed. And despite the fact that President Trump is is facing some of these relentless attacks from Capitol Hill, it doesn't seem to be slowing him down. He, of course, uh, made that notable visit to Kentucky this week. Uh, As someone who's worked in the White House from the start of this administration, how's he feeling about the state of affairs and how everything is going in terms of executing his agenda? Well, I think he's incredibly happy with his accomplishments. Uh, there's still a lot more to get done, and we're continuing to push forward. Uh, but I think, of course, it's frustrating when Democrats continually try to stand in the way and continue, continually try to divert attention uh, to impeachment. This president's not going to be distracted, though. He's going to continue to push forward and make sure he gets done for the American people what he promised. You brought up immigration. We saw a situation, a tragic situation in Mexico, the family suffering at the hands of the cartel. What is the president's intention in terms of uh, refocusing the nation on some of the challenges we face there on our southern border and and in a crime like this? The president has been talking about and warning about the dangers of cartels since his first campaign. He's continued to throughout his presidency. He wants to work with Mexico, and he wants to work with other partners to make sure we take a strong stance. What happened was a tragedy, an absolute tragedy, as the president said. He reached out to the president of Mexico, and we'll continue to offer assistance and support however necessary. Well, Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with The Daily Signal today. We uh, appreciate uh, you giving us an update on, on these important topics, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Are you looking for quick conservative policy solutions to current issues? Sign up for Heritage's weekly newsletter, The Agenda. In The Agenda, you will learn what issues Heritage scholars on Capitol Hill are working on, what position conservatives are taking, and links to our in-depth research. The Agenda also provides information on important events happening here at Heritage that you can watch online, as well as media interviews from our experts. Sign up for The Agenda on Heritage.org today. Up next, we'll hear a portion of Carly Fiorina's new interview with Heritage Foundation President Kay Coles-James. The name of this podcast is By Example. Mm -hmm. And what we do is lift up leaders who, by their example, Hmm. show the rest of us what leadership is all about. One of the things that I say frequently and I've learned along the way is that leadership isn't about position or title. You've had a lot of really important positions (laughs) and titles and you hold one now and we'll come and talk about that and some of your other positions in a moment. But you're a leader, not because of those positions and titles. You're a leader because your entire life you have changed the order of things for the better. Hmm. You have always changed things for the better. And that's why it's such an honor to welcome you to By Example today. Well, thank you. And I must admit that in almost every instance in my life, it was not planned. Hmm. It was not strategic on my part. And when I go back to the very, very beginning, I think it happened, Um When I was tasked, along with a few other young African-Americans, to integrate the schools in the South, and I think about what was required of me in that moment, um, you had to be courageous. You, You had to be fearless. You had to be tenacious. Um... And uh, I think very early on, those characteristics were sort of ingrained in me and have served me well over all these many years. 
It's such a wonderful reflection you just gave us. I mean, imagine for those listening, imagine you're a young person and you're asked, okay, let's integrate the schools Mm. in the South. It's a pretty tall order. I believe that leaders are made, not born, and that Mm. all leaders share certain common characteristics, courage being the first Mm. and most important, because without courage, None of us can tackle the status quo. And unless we tackle the status quo, things don't get better, do they? Absolutely. You know, I just went through um, a sort of challenging moment with Google. Some of your listeners may be aware of that, where I was attacked and I um, I was by about 2,000 Google employees um, who felt that I should not serve on this advisory commission. And it was so amusing to me. When uh, some friends began to call and say, are you okay? I mean, the things that they're saying about you are horrendous. And it occurred to me that, you know, I've been in that position ever since I was 12 years old when I was called names as I was walking up the steps to try to integrate a school in the South. When a, you know, a junior high school teacher made a very bad jokes when she was reading the menu for the day and said, um, and for dessert, we're having brownies and Lord knows why we're having those. We have enough of them here already. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, being pro-life, being conservative, being uh, Republican, being evangelical, being black, all of those things from the very beginning, you toughen up and you figure out who you are and you uh, and and so rather than being um, looking back at my life and thinking about all the difficulties, I think about what a blessing, what a blessing to have had all of those experiences to prepare me to be able to stand tall today. Um, so, I, you know, I use that when I talk to young moms sometime, especially helicopter moms who are extracting from their sons and daughters uh, the very things that they will need to be great leaders and to and to be successful. They don't want them to hurt. They don't want them to have bad experiences. They don't want them to be disappointed. And all of those things are essential to 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 learn how to stand alone, to learn how to deal with disappointment. Uh, I think all of those things are critical, critical for what we find when we step out onto the stage of the big RW, the big real world. Oh, that is so true. You've said so much there. So let's unpack it a little bit at a time. First, you've said that you are an unexpected package. Ah. You're an unexpected collection of things. And so because you're unexpected, you get more stuff thrown at you, right? Absolutely. I mean, I know that from my own experience. Oh, absolutely. And you've also said that social media, I think, is so difficult, so critical, so vitriolic. In a way, it's just poisoning our environment. And it takes, we make such quick assumptions Mm -hmm. about people. Those 2,000 employees at Google, boy, they don't know what they missed. They don't (laughs) know what they missed. How foolish of them. Well, my favorite, my favorite out of all the things that they said about me was that I was a white nationalist. Well, there you go. (laughs) I mean, it's an example, I think, of politics infecting our ability to have a conversation. 
conversation. We've oh, gotten absolutely. so tribal. It's like, well, if you line up with this tribe, then you must be all those things. It's a terrible thing. I also completely agree with you that it is our difficult times, our painful times, our challenging times, our frightening times mm. that help us figure out who we are and are we going to be able to stand tall and mm. define ourselves for ourselves, not let other people tell us who we are, what we're going to do, but oh. decide for ourselves? Absolutely. If you don't mind a biblical reference, when I was going through one of my more difficult challenges, someone sent me uh, passages from the Bible that had to do with pruning and being a vine. And the analogy that they said uh, was K. They don't prune dead vines. They prune live vines. That's and true. why does that happen? What happens when you prune? You produce more fruit. So you may be going through a difficult period, but that's only to make you stronger, healthier vine that will produce way more fruit. So sometimes as parents especially, uh, we need to remember that when we see our children going through difficult times and we want to rescue them. It's better to walk beside them as they go through those than rescue them and take them out of those difficult times. It's so true. And it's interesting. You know, we're all afraid of things. Mm -hmm. And we're all afraid of being criticized, right? We'd much rather right. have people telling us how awesome we are all the time. And so, but for young people, especially, I think that criticism is so omnipresent in social mm. media. It's like, woo, I don't want anyone to criticize me. Let me curate my photos. Let mm. me do all these things. And yet, when we can stand up and move on despite right. the criticism. Well, right. And I think that's what develops us into strong leaders. And, um, you know, those to, to rescue, to, to take people out of that, to, to allow them not to have those experiences, I think, is diminishing the pool of the cadre of people that we have that can lead this great nation or lead great companies or lead great universities. Uh, the skill sets that are required uh, are developed as we go through this difficult thing called life. Yes, it's so true. Courage is... I think first and foremost, as we've been discussing, such a critical element of leadership, which is to change the order of things for the better and courage you learn. It's not that you're not afraid. It's that you learn how to get over your fears. The other thing, of course, we're talking about is character, the character, mm. the tenacity, the consistency to get through those tough times with your principles and your soul intact. Tell us about how and when you first developed your character. You you grew up in very difficult circumstances in Certainly. Richmond. You were given difficult challenges as a young person. Certainly. And you've tackled difficult challenges the whole rest of your life. Well, Where you know, did you find that reserve of character? Well, it came early. It came uh, when I was at home watching a Billy Graham uh, crusade on television. And Billy Graham said... Uh, that uh, with a personal relationship with Christ, you have the opportunity to be the person that you want to be but feel powerless to become. 
And I have said that when you live your life according to your principles of your faith, it protects you from so much. As a matter of fact, I've been asked more than once, how in the world did you manage to spend 30 years in Washington and never get indicted for anything? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was taught very early on as a matter of my faith, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't do anything immoral, illegal, or unethical. And those very strong precepts uh, that were ingrained in me from the time I was in uh, junior high school and all the way through high school are the very things that kept me safe here in this town, this this now called swamp of Washington, (laughs) D.C. If you have determined that you will not do anything illegal, immoral or unethical, It will save you from a multitude of problems, and it makes life very easy to navigate if that's the standard that you have. Uh, So it not only is a a great uh, standard of faith to have that, but it is also a protection around you. And I have had to resign from jobs when I was asked to do something that was unethical. Um, I have been in situations, I've had Me Too moments where there were lots of opportunities to be immoral. Um, and, um, you know, on occasion, there have been times when people have asked you to do something that, in my mind, was absolutely illegal. But when you have a set of standards that you live your life by, it is a protection. It is indeed. And it is also true that for people listening, the truth is that we are presented with many opportunities. Mm-hmm. These are my words now to sell our souls. Mm. And in a way, I say to people all the time, in a way, the more successful you become, the more opportunities you have in front of you, the more there are opportunities to sell your soul, to give up those principles, to fudge it just a little bit. And so it is easier. It protects you when you're clear about your principles. But it also means that sometimes you disappoint people. Oh, Carly, that happens to me all the time. And particularly here right now, as the president of the Heritage Foundation, uh, it would almost be easier operating in this town if liberals and Democrats were in charge because they would not expect me to do that. But the phone calls that I get from friends Mm. on Capitol Hill or friends in the administration that says, I know this may violate one of your principles at Heritage, but would you – but they don't understand. I get 10 of those calls a week. Would you compromise this? And so we have a philosophy here that we will always be true north. We will figure out what the research, the data, and the analysis tells us. We will figure out what is the correct conservative position on any issue, and then we're going to point in that direction, and we can't be lobbied. One of my favorite sayings is the president of the Heritage Foundation cannot be lobbied. I cannot be lobbied to change a position. Once we know and we have – you know. Within this building where we sit, I like to say, are some of the smartest people on the planet. And they, they, they do the research. They do the data. They do the analysis. And then sometimes they even have the internal debate to figure out what the p- correct position ought to be. 
And so once that process has taken place and the analysts and the researchers have defined what that position is, I can't be lobbied to change that. So I tell all my friends, I can really save you a lot of angst and phone calls and uh, time to meet if you think that what you're going to ask me to do violates one of our core principles. It's just not going to happen. Well, and it's so important that that true north exists. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing about principles is sometimes they're inconvenient. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they are. And of course, the political dynamic is not the same as... Um, principles. I, mm-hmm. I like to, you know, George Washington said in 1789, the trouble with political parties, they will come to care only about winning. Politics is very tribal now. Uh, and the, the dynamic of winning, mm-hmm. I win, you lose, mm-hmm. is very different sometimes than the dynamic of principled discourse. Absolutely. I had a reporter ask me when I first uh, came to the Heritage Foundation as president, how are you going to navigate this town? <laughs> um, and I thought about it for a minute and I said, you know, I'm not. I am not going to navigate this town. That's one of the things that I really enjoy about what I do right now. And that is, I don't have to navigate. I just have to stand. You can listen to the rest of Carly Fiorina's interview with Kay Coles James on the By Example podcast which is available on your favorite podcast app or carlyfiorina.com. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Lauren Evans and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.